Welcome to Design 30. My name is Jason Bilyeu, and in this podcast, I provide design strategies and tools to improve creativity, innovation, and overall design confidence. Have you ever experienced two things that on their own are perfectly good things? Maybe they're perfectly good designs or two uh, good types of food, but when you put them together, it kind of causes a disaster. So what I'm going to talk about today is along those lines. And really what it comes down to, at least in the world of design, is this idea of form does or should follow function, uh, but more accurately or more often in the real world, form actually follows failure. So that's going to be the main theme of this episode. And to start, I'm gonna go through um, some traditional interpretations of this idea of form follows function. And then I'm going to go into this more uh, likely or perhaps more common scenario of form following failure. And then I'm going to end this episode with a little bit of a rant, uh, maybe a lot of bit of a rant about some roundabouts in my neighborhood that have been driving me just a little bit crazy from, well, basically from this design perspective of form following function. So before I get into that, uh, you all know the drill. Please follow the podcast on whatever podcatcher app you use. Uh, Become a subscriber if your app lets you subscribe. Rate the podcast. That is incredibly helpful. And then share it with people who you think would enjoy it, who could get uh, or could find some use listening to it. Uh, Also, you can find Design30 on Twitter, on Instagram. Now you can find it on Threads if you are into that. I talked about that a little bit last week. It's been an interesting uh, dive into the world of Threads over the last week. Uh, So you can find Design30 there. And then finally, you can become a free subscriber to the Design30 Substack. All you need is an email. You don't need to be a part of Substack or anything like that. Just put your email into... A text box and that's literally all you have to do so if you want to support the podcast please consider becoming a subscriber to the design 30 Substack. and if you really like the podcast you can also become a paid subscriber which is a great way to support uh, what i'm doing here and a great way to support the podcast overall okay let's dive into this episode about form following function or form more likely following failure. So to start, I want to talk about these traditional interpretations of what it means when people say form follows function, right? This is something that you're going to hear quite a bit. Uh, You'll see it if you're on, uh, do do I dare call it design Twitter or (laughs) design Instagram? When you're reading a lot of these posts about design, you will see this term form follows function used quite a bit. So what is this actually mean? Well, there's two uh, common ways of looking at this design principle of form follows function. The first one is descriptive. It's the descriptive interpretation. And so this is more a way of describing why something is beautiful. Uh, In this book, 101 
design principles or universal, it's 125 actually, universal principles of design. Uh, they describe it as the descriptive interpretation is that beauty results from the purity of function in the absence of ornamentation. So it describes why we find something beautiful. If we see something that it looks like the function of it follows directly from the form or the form is shaped in such a way that it allows it to function you know, in this perfect, beautiful way, uh, that's a way of just describing why we find something beautiful. So form follows function. If that seems to be uh, played out or to be shown by something, often uh, this refers to something in nature, we're going to say, oh, that's a beautiful design. The form seems to follow the function of it, perhaps almost perfectly. So that's the descriptive interpretation. It's, it's why we describe things as beautiful. But the other interpretation is the prescriptive interpretation. And so this one is described as uh, that aesthetic considerations in design should be secondary to functional considerations. So essentially here you're prescribing that the function of something should take precedence over the uh, ornamentation or the aesthetics of it, right? So you need to focus on the function. The form should follow the function. So really what you're saying with a prescriptive interpretation is you're prescribing that the form should follow the function. So in one case, you're using this statement form follows function to describe why you find something to be beautiful, uh, why um, you think this beauty results from the purity of the function. So it's a more of a description. And then in the other case, the prescriptive case, you're prescribing almost as a design principle that form should follow function and that your aesthetic considerations should really be secondary to how something functions. But is this, how often is this actually the case? I mean, as a designer, you will probably strive for this. Maybe it's something, it is a design principle that you try to implement in your designs. But in reality, how often does this actually happen? If you look at different objects around your house or different designs that you interact with, it's actually the case more often than not that the form isn't necessarily following the function of it, but rather the form is following failure or it's following its, uh, it, again, this is looking at the evolution or the design of something over time. The form is actually a result of different functions not working. So it's more about form following poor function or it's the form following failure. And I've been thinking a lot about this this past week because this book I'm reading uh, called, I mentioned it last week, The Evolution of Useful Things. He actually has a whole chapter dedicated to this idea of form follows failure. And he kind of goes into a lot of this form follows function idea. And, and really, at least in the case of how uh, useful things, which he's talking about, have evolved over time, it's much more the case that they've evolved uh, to improve failures, improve functions that don't work. Uh, very rarely is the form following uh, the exact function or exactly how some function should work. 
it's just following the failure. So if this doesn't work, you change it to try to improve it, try to make that more functional. And then once something else fails, you improve that to make it more functional. So really the form of the object is following the failures of, of what it doesn't perform well. And so early on in this chapter, he says, the form of made things is always subject to change in response to their real or perceived shortcomings, their failures to function properly. This principle governs all invention, innovation, and ingenuity. It is what drives all inventors, innovators, and engineers. And there follows a corollary. Since nothing is perfect, and indeed since even our ideas of perfection are not static, everything is subject to change over time. There can be no such thing as a perfected artifact. The future perfect can only be a tense, not a thing. I really love this last line. There can be no such thing as, quote, perfected artifact or as a perfected artifact. The future perfect can only be a tense, not a thing. And so as a designer, I just I love that line because, well, for one, uh, it, it keeps me employed, gives me a job that design work is never actually done. You can never get to this. Oh, this thing is is perfect. It's done. It's the pinnacle of design. Right. And the reason you can't say that is one very few things uh, actually perform every function perfectly or even one function perfectly. And two, what does it even mean to perform it perfectly? Our ideas, our interpretation of what perfect is changes over time. It's in a lot of ways it changes with culture. So there's always reasons to improve things. And he says this is the principle that govern, governs all invention, innovation, ingenuity. It's really uh, how we perceive shortcomings in design how we believe something could be perfected. Um, he describes this as uh, the form of made things is always subject to change in response to their real or perceived shortcomings. So there he says there's real shortcomings. The function of something really uh, isn't holding up. It really doesn't function well, or it could simply be perceived as not functioning well. And either way, uh, those are perceived or real failures of function. So someone has to come in or someone has the opportunity to come in and improve the design of that thing. So how does this all relate back? Well, so again, this is all saying that his belief is that form doesn't necessarily follow the function of something, but rather form follows the failure of something to function. So, I mean, and this is a bit semantics, right? So you could say, well, it just, if it's failing to function and you're then redesigning the form of it to improve that failure, you're still leaning on this form should follow function. You're improving it so that the form will follow the function. And I, I think that's uh, also a fair way to look at this. Um, but I really like the idea of, the form of something, the design of something, it really, especially for different objects or designs, products that have existed for a while, the way it looks now is really a result of how it's failed over the years. And the one of the prime examples that he's given, at least as far as I've gotten in that book, is the fork. Like I talked about last week, there's a lot of shortcomings to the, well, before, for a while they didn't even have forks. It was just how 
uh, it was developed to help people, you know, be able to eat and dine uh, more efficiently. And then the form of the fork itself actually changed and evolved and, and they had two tines and then they tried going to six tines and then they went to four tines and four figure uh, ended up being like the best or the most efficient way to, to have a decent sized fork that would fit in your mouth, but also didn't let all of your food fall through it. So there was all of these different points of failure and that's what led to this design that we have today. And I think as uh, someone who uh, designs a lot of mechanical components, I can really attest to this. There's so many of my designs, uh, you know, I don't always get to prototype them, but even you can look at them in CAD and they're different ways that they fail, the ways that you can tell, oh, this isn't going to function well at this. Or maybe you have a design review and your team tells you, hey, have you thought about this? That might not be able to perform this function. And so it's these different little failures that prod you and poke you and push you to design this product in new ways or to maybe perfect a function of it or to add function to it. So I really like this perspective of the form of something, the design of something follows from how it's failing. What are the failure modes of this product, of this design? And I think it helps just shift your perspective on failure as well. And this is something uh, I've talked about a lot is this idea of failing fast. And I think this actually plays into this idea of form follows failure uh, really well. You want to, the faster you fail, the better or the faster you can uh, better improve the form of your product, right? So if the form really truly does follow the failure, you need to get those failures out as fast as you can. And this is another reason why you should prototype early and prototype often. You should create what uh, I often call prototypes, which is these pre-prototypes. So just getting something that is semi-functional as soon as possible so that you can test out, you can vet out these failures as soon as physically possible. You don't have to wait for prototypes to get in, which can take weeks or months. You want to get these ideas out, these uh, designs out fast so you can test them. And then you can actually really... Uh, test this idea of form following failure. And the more failures you have, the more opportunities you have to then improve the form, which overall improves the design. So you could end up at a point where you have this design that the form looks to almost perfectly follow the function of it. And that might be the case, but if you look back at the history of how this product was designed, how it evolved over time, it's really the failures that drove its form, not so much the function, but the final state of it uh, appears to adhere to this idea, this perhaps this prescriptive interpretation that the form follows the function. And so that leads me to this rant that I, I wanted to uh, perhaps end this episode with, and it might be more venting than ranting or a good combination of both. But so here's what's going on. There's a, there's two roundabouts in my neighborhood that both kind of uh, have the same issue. And so I love roundabouts. Don't get me wrong. They're, it took me a little while to warm up to them. You know, it was hard to go from the stoplights or stop signs to these roundabouts, which are a little bit more, you know, you have to yield to oncoming traffic. So there's a little bit more uh, personal 
I don't know, you have to be able to judge other cars and their speed. So it takes a little bit of time, uh, at least it did for me, to, to really buy into roundabouts. But now, obviously I've been using them for years. Love them. Big fan of roundabouts. But there's two roundabouts in my neighborhood that have the same problem. And so the whole idea, right, of a roundabout is efficiency. You can, as you're coming up to the roundabout, you can look and see, and if there's nobody coming, you barely have to even slow down. You just cruise right through it. So then you don't have to stop. Even if there's nobody there, you don't have to stop, look both ways, and then drive, which is inefficient from a time standpoint. And it's also inefficient from uh, your vehicle standpoint, for, from a, a gas mileage standpoint. It takes a lot more energy to come to a complete stop and then fully accelerate again. So the whole idea is to be efficient. And as a, as a side thing, uh, there could also be some aesthetic to roundabouts. But the roundabouts in my neighborhood, they decided to put these big shrubs, which, you know, I'm not hating on shrubs. They're beautiful. I like plants and trees, but they've placed these shrubs in this location that as you drive up to the roundabout, it perfectly blocks where you're supposed to look for the oncoming traffic. So where you're supposed to look for the traffic that you're going to yield to is almost completely obscured by these shrubs. And this just drives me a little bit insane, right? Because these, these roundabouts are supposed to be efficient they're supposed to prevent you from having to really slow down almost to a stop. But with the shrub, you can't tell if someone's coming or not. So I still have to slow down almost to a stop and kind of creep around so that I don't just get broadsided by someone coming through this roundabout, <laughs> right? And so even though I like the look of it, I just I can't I can't believe that someone decided it would be a good idea to put these large shrubs there. I mean, you could put flowers there. You could put some maybe very short, small shrubbery. Uh, you could put a tall tree maybe that you could still see underneath the branches. But it's almost perfectly, <laughs> this plant seemed to be perfectly chosen to completely obscure something that's about the size of a vehicle. And it just really, it's really driving me crazy, <laughs> to be honest. From And I, I was thinking about it today and, it really comes down to this form follows function, or in this case, the form of the roundabout with these shrubs does not follow the function at all. They've put aesthetic over function, and in this case, it's actually somewhat dangerous. I mean, this is, a, I think it's a great example uh, for why designers should take this into account. You gotta, in most situations, I think put the function ahead of the aesthetic. Uh, because it can be dangerous. In this case, these shrubs, they look great from an aerial view or maybe from the original render of what these roundabouts are going to look like. Uh, these shrubs made it look beautiful and nice. Great. But in real life, it makes it almost impossible to tell if you should yield or not without just coming to a stop, which then completely uh, just completely destroys the whole point of ha having a roundabout. So, and if it's winter time, you know, I live in Montana, so it's winter for most of the year, right? If you have to, if you're coming up to this roundabout with any bit of speed and you don't see that oncoming traffic, then, and you have to hit your brakes, you're going to slide, there's likely ice. It's the perfect scenario for causing accidents. So this is just something that it's been driving me crazy. 
I, I wonder if anyone else has, has this experience perhaps with roundabouts and in a beautiful neighborhood, right? Like it makes sense why there's, there's shrubberies, there's trees, all of these things. I get why it's there, but the location of it just drives me absolutely crazy, especially from a design perspective. And especially when you think about this form follows function, like whoever decided to put shrubs there was not thinking through this. And I could see how there's probably going to be a few accidents in that location. I've actually on that roundabout almost been in an accident. Funny enough, that was on one part of it where there actually wasn't a shrub. So it was easy to see. I think this person might've just been distracted, probably texting and driving, who knows, but I can almost guarantee there's going to be accidents caused by this. And so that's a good example of once that happens and once both drivers say, oh, well, I didn't see the person because there's a shrubbery in the way, they're probably going to end up getting rid of this thing. Um, and so that's an example of why form in that case will follow failure. The failure being the location of that shrub causing <laughs> failures, or it causes people to have to stop at this roundabout, which is a failure of the design of a roundabout. Um, so the form is likely going to change to improve that function, to remove the failure or its failure to function and have it function properly as a roundabout, right? Where you yield if there's oncoming traffic or you don't even have to really slow down if there isn't. And so the efficiency is just completely destroyed by these shrubs. And yeah, every time that's also where I walk a lot of the time. And every time I see it, it just drives me a little crazy. I'm probably going to post, I will post a photo of it just to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, so if you don't already follow me on Twitter or on threads, make sure you do that. Cause I'll, I'll post a photo and probably go on another mini rant slash vent session <laughs> about these roundabouts. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, uh, essentially why I want to do this episode was those roundabouts really inspired this. Uh, so maybe, you know, I guess I can't complain about that, right? These, these roundabouts being designed, in my opinion, poorly are giving me good content for this podcast. So, so let's recap real quick. So form follows function. There's basically two tra traditional uh, interpretations of what this means. One is descriptive. Uh, so this form follows function describes why we find something to be beautiful. It describes that beauty often results from the purity of the function. So it's more, more a way of describing something. And then the other one is prescriptive interpretation. And this is where you're prescribing that form should follow function and that your aesthetic considerations in design should be secondary to your functional considerations. So you should prioritize your function over aesthetics so that your form follows the function. But then as I uh, talked about from this book, uh, what I learned from this book, The Evolution of Useful Things by Henry Petrosky, in reality, when you're looking at how products are designed over time or how they've evolved over time, the form actually follows the failures more so than the functions uh, or you, uh, these products have been designed to function a certain way, but we've learned over time that they actually fail at those functions. And so they're redesigned to address those failures. So you can think about it in such a way that instead of form following the function, the form actually follows its failure to function. 
And then finally, of course, I talked about roundabouts and how just putting these shrubs right in the location where you're supposed to be looking for oncoming traffic to yield to, it just completely destroys the whole idea of a roundabout. And the efficiency is essentially just obliterated. <laughs> all right. So, okay. Well, I'm getting all worked up again on that. So I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, that's the episode. I hope this was insightful and enjoyable. Um, again, if you want more design content, you can find Design 30 all over the place. I'm on YouTube. You can subscribe there. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter or on threads. Uh, and then finally, you can become a free or a paid subscriber to the Design 30 Substack. All right. Have a good week, everybody. And of course, remember, design more, despair less. Thanks for listening.